morning, everyone, and welcome to our UCAS application webinar. I'm Nathaniel McCullough, the founder of Simply Learning Tuition, and I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Sarah Alakajar, who is an education consultant specialising in UCAS admissions and general university preparation advice. Um, Sarah has been the head of careers at Putney High School and also deputy head of Manders Portman Woodman, Porter Woodman, MPW. So she has lots of experience of helping people navigate the pathway from school through sixth form and into university. Um, on our webinar this morning, we're going to discuss all the ways that students can optimize their preparation for the UCAS application process. Um, and it's, it's really important to say that effective preparation makes a huge difference. Even, even if it's quite straightforward, it really makes a difference. Um, for example, our SLT preparation program has resulted in 90% of the students we work with getting their first or second choice university. And our success rate for Oxbridge acceptance is, is a sort of blanket 60%, which compares very favorably with a national average of about 17%. So the, the various steps of preparation we're gonna to discuss today really do make a difference. There's nothing terribly complicated in there, but it's, it's all down to planning and effective management. Um, just one quick housekeeping rule. If you've got a question, um, we've, we've had lots of questions that have already been sent in and we'll work our way through those this morning. But if you've got something you'd like to ask during the webinar, please just use the Q&A button, which is at the bottom of the webinar screen. And we'll either answer it in the chat or we'll then I'll pass it over to Sarah to, 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 to answer. Um, we are recording the webinar and we'll send a copy of it to everyone who's participated. And we, above all, hope you find the next hour really helpful. So don't, don't hold back with your questions. Okay, Sarah, um, over to you with the first question. I think a, a good place to start is a question we had from a parent saying um, they were not educated in England, they've moved to London, and they find the whole process of the UCAS application daunting. Um, could we please give an overview with a bit of a timeline, step-by-step -step instructions, that kind of thing? Just an overview of the process would be, I think, a great place to start. Of course, yes, it's a good question. Um, it can seem a bit complicated, and I think to some people from other um, application systems, it can seem a little bit odd that we apply before people even have their results, for example, it can all seem a little odd. It seems a bit odd to us, quite frankly, sometimes. So, um, um, where to start? Okay, so we apply um, in the equivalent of year 12, so the penultimate um, year of schooling. Um, that may be different if you're in a country where there are 12 years of schooling rather than 13, so you may apply after the final school exams. So that is going to depend on the country that this, this person is from. Um, we apply um, anytime really from September of the year before we want to start university. Um, the, de the final deadline for most applications is the 30, this year will be the 31st of January um, in the year of entry. Uh, but for some universities, such as Oxford and Cambridge, for medicine, dentistry and veterinary applications, the deadline this academic year will be the 16th of October. Normally it's the 15th of October, but the 15th falls on a Sunday this year, so it's been stretched. 
Um, I'm going to apologise that my window cleaner has just arrived, so there may be a bit of banging behind me, and I do apologise if I, I can't that. hear it. I think we're fine. <laughs> I'm finding it really distracting, but I'm trying my best. Um, so applications go in advance, as I say. We um, work on the application needs to begin far before the actual application itself is completed, before the application form is completed. Um, you apply for five universities as a maximum, except and you can only apply to Oxford or Cambridge. And if you're applying for medicine, you can only apply for four medical school places, the fifth has to be a different subject. So just to qualify or um, to qualify that, if you've got your five applications, does either Oxford or Cambridge count as one of those applications? Yes, it does. Yeah. It does, absolutely. Um, all the universities will see the same application form. Um, so they'll see the same personal statement, all your information that you send centrally through UCAS, which is the university's central um, application system. Um, so how does so how does that work? If you, I am going to keep interrupting you with. Please do because I will miss something um, being distracted. <laughs> how does it work if you are you send one personal statement? Because I imagine this is where the art of the the personal statement really comes in. Because if you've got one, you're writing one statement, but you could be applying, but you're applying to five different universities and potentially five different courses, mm. or subtly different courses. How does that work? Because to my great embarrassment, when I did my application form, I had I had very poor guidance from my sixth form. I mean, I had no guidance, which is probably my fault for not asking for it. But I remember that I applied for veterinary science, medical science, journalism, and something else with the same personal statement. And I think you wouldn't want to get any of those mixed up, though, would you? With the other. Not at all. And they are they, they show a terrible lack of direction. Um, so I, I think that was a pretty schoolboy error. But how how does that work? How do you guide people at this first stage about selecting subjects and including them in the personal statement? So it's not too prescriptive, but it's also fairly descriptive. Sure. Some really good point. Um, I think the, the key for people to remember is if you're applying for the UK system, you are applying for an academic subject, rather than applying to an institution and matching yourself to the institution. The more, most important thing is, is, the, is matching yourself to the subject. Um, so that's the very first point where something like the situation you've described is less likely to occur. So we begin with that subject choice and generally once once that sort of decent advice and questioning, researching has, has, has been done, we at least have a subject area. So it might be social and political sciences, for example. Now, if you're applying for social and political sciences, by which I mean politics, international relations, sociology, social anthropology, that sort of area, we have similarities, a lot of similarities. So when we write the personal statement, the hope is by, the, by that time, you've really pinned down actually, it's international relations, that's what I love. And that's the job of people like us is to help students find that love um, and be quite precise about it. If you are one of these students who isn't quite that precise in terms of what you like, perhaps like quite a few things, 
If the subjects have similarities, the personal statement can very easily be crafted to keep everybody happy. If they are very different, I would want to sort of just make sure the advice that we've given you is, is fulsome enough. Then we would advise something like maybe applying to someone like a Scottish university, where you can actually do a couple of other subjects alongside the main branch that you like. That's, I guess that's where the strategy comes in, isn't it? Because yeah. you could make an application for one course and be hopefully accepted for that course, knowing very well that there's a, a, a well-trodden pathway of changing from that course in yeah. your second year onto something more in line with what you actually want. So it I doesn't mean, disrupt yeah. your application. It can, that can be the way forward. I mean, it's I always want my students to be in love with the subject that we're working on because that makes for a really strong application, I think, um, and makes for an enjoyable preparation path as well. So whilst they're actually doing the work to prepare for the application, they are genuinely enjoying it. So I tend to work probably harder on getting the subject right even than on the application if it's with a student who just isn't certain. But you can absolutely craft a personal statement to encompass um, subjects which are linked. Um, if you're applying to somewhere like Cambridge, which has some unique subjects not offered elsewhere, um, for example, Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic, um, land economy, they are aware that they are the only people. Um, Imperial have a new course, economics, finance and data science. They are not all expecting you to discuss in your personal setting all the aspects of their very unique courses. They would expect you to pick the sub to discuss the subject which you're applying to for at the other universities. Um, in the case of Cambridge, you have a separate application form where you can discuss your affinity with land economy more specifically than just economy or law, it might be, or geography that you're applying for in the other and on that note, if you're talking about specialist courses, so you've mentioned some some new courses, but but Oxbridge have many you know specialist courses, medicine, um, law, even even history, and they have aptitude tests. Can you tell us a little bit about the sort of additional preparation and the timing of an aptitude test? So the the timings are, as you said, you've got you've got one deadline for UCAS, you've got an yeah. earlier deadline for medicine, dentistry, and Oxbridge. Yes. You can only apply to one of either Oxbridge or Cambridge. Oh, sorry, Oxford or Cambridge. But tell us a little bit about the specific subject tests. I mean, how many degrees have these tests and are they frighteningly difficult or are they just precise? Are they specific? Um, how do you prepare and and what what's a sort of good strategy for those? And do, do they also affect deadlines? When are these tests, um, when do you sit these tests? Okay, so there are quite a number of admissions tests with, when we look at Oxford and Cambridge, but they're not the only universities which ask for admissions tests. They are also asked for um, at so Imperial, Warwick. It depends, when we're not talking about Oxford and Cambridge, it very much depends on the subject you're applying for and the university. But outside of Oxford and Cambridge, I would say on the whole, you probably won't be doing a, an admissions test on the whole that's very broad statement but the majority will not be doing one um medics will lawyers will um oxford and cambridge people 
are highly likely to. When they are, again, depends on the university and the test. Oxford and Cambridge admissions tests tend to be um, in the end of October, November. Um, this year, uh, date, I cannot remember the date, I'm so sorry, but it is in October, uh, the majority of them are in October. Um, on the whole, and I'm not going to talk about medical tests because that's not my special subject, they are couple of those are quite unique in terms of the subject knowledge they require. On the whole, admissions tests are not about subject knowledge, they are about skills, the application of the knowledge that you already have to perhaps situations you've not come across before. Um, what that means is they don't require you to spend hours and hours and hours filling your mind with tough subjects that you you know that you struggle with. I think students do get scared of you know oh do I know enough maths do I know enough physics have I learned enough history etc and it's not about that it is about having a fundamental understanding of your A level or equivalent syllabus um, content is available the sort of content that would be expected you know, the knowledge that they would expect of you is available on various websites that are the most appropriate ones. Um, but it's the application of that, it's the skills, it's critical analysis, it's um, you know, defending opinions, etc. Um, so if you are, this is good news because if you want to be a medical student at Cambridge, for example, or do veterinary science at Cambridge, the aptitude tests are not expecting you to be a a junior vet or to have studied or read research they're just looking for an aptitude and ability to perhaps an affinity with that subject and a, a, a likelihood that you'll sort of you're you're you have the ability and the agility to to succeed at veterinary science which is a pretty tough and quite different course mm. to many others far, far more practical perhaps so is, is it more that they test they just really want to test you have the potential rather than You've, you've got a lot of knowledge specifically based on that subject. So the reason I said I'm not going to I exclude medical here is because I don't do medical school applications because they're so um, specialised. Now, one of the tests was, is called the UCAT, used to be called the UKCAT, um, and another one is the BMAT. Mm. Now, um, one of those is skills-based and one of them is knowledge-based. So that's why I... So, uh, that's why I kind of don't deal so the strategy with here is if you'll just just make sure you know exactly what tests you're going to be asked and it is it is all made pretty clear in the department it's made incredibly clear you have to register for the test so your school needs to register if you're in an international school you need to ensure that your school deals somehow with what you're going to do whether you need to go to a center in your city somewhere um or or what you've got to sort of get that sorted out you must register by certain deadlines, um, all again available on the websites of the universities to which you're applying. They'll, they'll, if it's not on their own website, they'll lead you to where you need to go. Um, I would say through personal experience, because this is my subject, that the LNAT, which is the Law National Admissions Test, is horrid. It's a tough one because it is also skills-based. It's not about your knowledge of law at all. Um, but it is timing wise, incredibly tough, incredibly hard work. So that's certainly, uh, 
as I say, that's the one I train people for. You, you need a lot of practice. And I think that's the, the same with all the other tests is practice, 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 under time conditions, understand not only when you mark your practice papers, don't, don't just look at why you have got things right. Look at why you've got something wrong. If it's a multiple choice question, look at all four or five of the options and look at why is that wrong? Why was that wrong? Why was that wrong? And why is that the correct one? Don't be happy just with getting it right. Work out all aspects of that question. Because it could be presented in a different way, the same question in the future. I, I found that when I did the GRE, which was graduate school, grad school in the US, my application, it was, it was the test prep was so important. And it was just a case of learning a little bit how they think and how, how they So it's unfortunately the message is, you know, you've, you've worked really hard at school for your GCSEs, then your A-levels or your international baccalaureate. You may have had a smidgen of tutoring along the way, a bit of support. Now you, you kind of need the same thing again for your UCAS application. It's not really a level playing field, particularly, is it? It's not, you do, there are, it's not gaming the system, but there are definitely things that you can do to make your application stand out with the same raw material, which is obviously you. And you yes, 100%. Um, preparation is absolutely key. The longer in advance that you can make the decisions of subjects, etc., and to some extent universities, the more detailed your preparation can be because you'll know what tests you've got to do, you can prep for them, you know what subject, you can start reading more about it, etc., etc., etc. So when should students start in earnest their preparation so choosing a course considering mm -hmm. universities when's the best time to start ideally um once you've settled into year 12 in that first term autumn term i would say so i would say give yourself half term to just make sure you're bedded into the a level or ib subjects that you are happy with those and then you need to start thinking and that's a good six months before the school will actually sort of help you so that, that six months is fairly critical. Um, obviously, you and Simply Learning Tuition are in the business of providing the support. Um, I didn't have any support, and I wish I just had even an hour with someone to tell me, to give me a bit of a strategy. Um, yeah. But parents who, you, know, you can obviously use tutors and consultants, but if, they, if, if you're sort of doing it yourself, what resources could you point them towards? Okay, so in terms of choosing subjects, I mean, the first place we would start is with the A-level or IB subjects, absolutely. Is there a love there for them that, that you feel you could, the student could commit for another three, four years studying? That's the place to start, I think. Um, and looking at careers, does the student know what they would like to do in the future? So those are the two kind of obvious, easy, dare I say it, um, options to think about you know it can be terribly anxiety provoking for most students you know what, trying to make decisions on a piece of paper you know five courses that predict or, or affect your future can be quite daunting unless you're fortunate enough to have a, a real passion for a subject or a vocation yes and so you have to be quite methodical about it i think if you the further into the future you can see the easier it is to work out what you need to do today but that's difficult so if we look at A-levels, let, I mean, let's call, talk about A-levels for the sake of easing, ease of the discussion. We looked at A-levels, if you were doing French, Spanish, economics, it may be that there isn't one of those that particularly grabs you fully, but it may be that within one of those subjects, there is a topic 
of great interest for you. Um, you know, people might be fascinated by behavioral economics, for example, or by um, in biology, perhaps the human biology side rather than anything else, in geography, the environmental science side rather than anything else. So within a subject, an A-level subject, there may be something of interest and that is quite likely to be available as a degree, unless it's incredibly niche and tiny, but that's an, a way to look at things. Psychometric tests are a really good um, idea if they're quality ones. I um, I use Morrisby for students who want to do that sort of thing. They test, they look at skills, aptitudes and interests as well, importantly, um, and come up with some suggestions of degrees and careers that could be of interest. I then take students to, um, <laughs> and they all think I'm really weird, but I ask them things like, what's on your Netflix, my list? What do you like out of school? And often you'll find they love legal dramas or legal um, documentaries, or I even had a student who loved watching Japanese manga. And she is now doing Japanese at Oxford. Well, that's, that's very interesting because the route to a degree can be quite unexpected. It yeah. can take many sort of twists and turns. And one great thing about a degree in this country versus, well, actually, I guess it's the same in other countries too, but particularly in the UK, is that your degree is just the beginning of your career. And in many cases, your, your tertiary education. So it's, it's really a way of demonstrating that you can absorb huge amounts of information, learn on your own, and re, re, you know, regurgitate, understand, hopefully spit out something new at the end of it in your dissertation. And it doesn't matter particularly what you're studying. Um, unless it's, you know, unless it's required for you for the next step. Yeah. And I think there's a really difficult balance for students between choosing the subject, which they think is very important and choosing the institution. And we have this really neatly sort of structured hierarchy in the UK where you've got Oxbridge at the top and then Russell Group and then everywhere else. And it's quite difficult because I, I think people think, well, if I go to Oxford, I'll be really successful and really happy. If I go to Exeter, I'll be, you know something will it'll be x or y they have expectations and the same with courses if it's a very competitive course it's going to be very good for me and i from bitter experience have learned that the opposite is true so i i read journalism at city university and it was the most competitive course to get onto very challenging fascinating very good on paper and city university was was well known when it was a polytechnic for putting out good journalists I joined when it had been a university for a period of time and I hated it. I thought the course was fantastic. The journalism was brilliant, but they put us into a social science program, which I thought was a sort of an optional extra, but actually took up most of the time. Mm -hmm. And the university experience was so different to what I'd expected because it was in, in the heart of the city, very, very sort of lonely experience, living in a block of flats as my student digs. And I really disliked it and left. And then I picked up the Good Universities Guide and I thought, where am I going to go now? And I opened the page on Durham. I thought, I've heard of Durham, but it doesn't really hold any appeal. But the key is to go and visit. So I did go and visit and I thought, this is pretty special. And they offered me a course in archaeology, which I, I, I loved Indiana Jones. And I, you know, I thought, this is quite fun. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was in the science department. There's a bit of natural science option as well. And I adored my university time at Durham, but it was, I'd say, 60% university, maybe even 70, 30% the course, but I really enjoyed the course. And I think students would need to really think about a balance of subject and um, institution and take it out of the out of their heads take it out of the books and go and visit and go and talk to people would that be advice you you sort of support i couldn't agree more um i think i might i've had sort of a similar experience i my original subject at university was spanish with portuguese and i adored spanish and um found the course content that i loved in one particular university which was liverpool my father, however, discovered from my school that I was good enough to perhaps try for Cambridge or Oxford. So that was the end of that. I was told that I would be applying. There was, there was, there was no arguing with Mr. Alakajer, I can tell you. <laughs> so um, I applied, did, got an interview, was really disappointed because I didn't like the course. It was full of sort of golden age literature and not enough linguistics for me. So I wasn't interested. Um, applied, got an interview, loved the interview because it was talking about my favourite subject, so I got an offer. Again, really disappointed, <laughs> had to accept it because there was my father on my shoulder, etc. Um, got my A-level grades, missed my, A-level, my, missed my offer, was thrilled, but they said we still would like you to come. So the, <laughs> the most yeah. reticent Cambridge student who went up that year. <laughs> um, went up and um, hated that course. was so unhappy. And I will say to anybody listening or watching later is to be at Oxford or Cambridge when you don't like the course is really tough, actually. There's a lot of work still expected of you, whether you're happy or not. Um, After two years, I've just had enough and I changed. Luckily, you could change tripods at Cambridge quite easily. And I changed to law. But it was a very, very harsh lesson. I mean, obviously, it was out of my control, but that you need to really like and examine the content of the course very carefully. Spanish in one place, it's not the same as Spanish in another, archaeology in one, etc. Content, really important, and then try to go and visit if you can. Because to the point of working out who the professors are, how long they've been there. It isn't an established department. That's perhaps more for masters and PhD, but it can still be relevant. I, I think. And interesting. I mean, it's just interesting. I think to see who's going to be teaching you or definitely, you know, of interest. Yes. And I think the, the the other point there is that parents and students are, are find this process daunting because it is so important. It's where you're going to spend the next three or four years of your life, and it's a big precursor to your career or further education. But the the thing is, you can change. So you, if, it's, if it doesn't work for you, it's better to change and make the move than to suffer that university just to complete it. It's, it's always possible to change. It's not easy. But that does bring us quite neatly onto a question um, that someone sent in, which is, what exactly is clearing? Because I never let you really finish the process. Um, so we got to making writing the personal statement, doing a great application, having your mock grades, all this kind of thing, and then you submit your application through UCAS. That's sent out to all universities. And then what happens next? Okay. So it's sent out to universities with your reference and your predictions in there. And universities have a look and hopefully they'll make you an offer 
with a condition attached to it that, for example, you need to get three A's in your A-levels. In theory, we hope you'll get five offers. It's becoming more and more rare, unfortunately, but let's say you get three offers and you would then accept one as your favourite, your firm of um, choice, and then you would accept another as an, insur as an insurance. That's a theory. Several things could happen though instead of that. One is that you get no offers, and another is that you do get some offers, but they're not from actually a university that you really wanted to go to in the first place. Why did you apply there? But anyway, that sometimes does happen. Now, so then you will reject that because you didn't want to go there. So you end up in both of those scenarios with no offers. Um, or you did accept an offer, you got your offer, you accepted, and you get to results day and you don't get the grades. You don't get those three A's, you get three B's or an A and two B's or whatever it may be. All those three scenarios will put you into the clearing system. The clearing system is for anybody who doesn't hold an offer for whatever reason, really. What is it? So I tried to explain it as, a, it's like a pot. So we, these offers are made conditionally. They are future offers that are, you know, dependent on grades. What that means is that universities over offer. So they might make 20 offers for what, what they know is only going to be one place and their knowledge, um, their experience means they know they can make 20 offers and only one of those people will you know, end up accepting and getting the, and getting the grades. Um, so that means there are 19 others, there are other places available for people who have accepted offers and not got the grades. Where does that place go? It goes into a pot some, for someone else to come along and take. And there can be 50, 60, 70, 80,000 places in that pot. The pot begins to fill on the 5th of July, which is IB results day, because the universities then can see that perhaps some people haven't achieved their IB results. The main clearing places go into the pot on A-level results day. So that is when the bulk of the action happens. So if you are on A-level results day with no places, you go onto the UCAS website, you look for a course in your subject that you applied for or in something new. Why not mix things up a bit? You can do that. See a course that you like the look of, have a look at the content, there'll be a phone number, you telephone the university, you tell them your situation, you tell them your UCAS number so that they can access your application. And if you're lucky, they might say, okay, we'll offer you a place. And you have a place and at 1 p.m on that day you can then accept that place you can then add that place onto your UCAS application form and you then it is then officially yours and you would only do that obviously with one course because by that point you've made the decision yes. so you can't say uh okay you're going to give me a place great you're going to give me a place as well and then decide you literally need to kind of decide at, at that point well it doesn't, nothing is official until you actually put it onto the UCAS system, which is, I think this year, going to be at 1 p.m. It's often at 3 p.m. Um, so nothing really official happens then. So in theory, you could ring round and then make the decision, then make the choice. There's nothing official has happened until 
that choice appears on your UCAS form because you've put it there. And so if you excelled in your exams where you thought your predicted grades thought you wouldn't, you could use clearing as well. And now, was there previously something called adjustment? There was, yes, which was effectively clearing so by another name. So clearing sort of up, really. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um leveling up. Not le- Although, I mean, to be honest, that that sort of almost sounds unfair to clearing because there are lots of really strong universities in regular clearing, actually. Um, You won't find Oxford, Cambridge, LSE levels there at all, but very strong universities with really good courses. But yes, absolutely, clearing is available for people who've done a lot better. You've led me on to two other questions here, which we could cover very quickly. A parent has asked if we could discuss applications to Russell Group Universities. And I'm going to answer that quite quickly, which is essentially, um, it's exactly the same as for any other university. So Russell Group, essentially, it's it's a group of the, the more recognised, more prestigious universities that are perceived to be better uh, in terms of employability, in terms of reputation than the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Is it justified? Are your chances of a career enhanced if you you know say is it is it worth deferring entry or are they really that much better obviously oxbridge are a premium oxbridge oxford and cambridge are names known all around the world durham and exeter might not be and other russell group universities might not be can you explain a little bit there because i i know the application process is exactly the same apart tell me a little bit about the prestige okay so we do have something called the russell group of universities they're 24 research heavy universities that is the reason for their existence is not because we thought they were the most elite um it's to they're research heavy they're great at research um but some universities choose not to be part of the russell group some notable exceptions actually st andrews is not part of the russell group bath and loughborough are not and those are outstanding universities, in, particularly in certain areas. Um, so it is not the only sort of yardstick, I would say. Yeah, it's more of, again, you need to go back to your course and your subject. So if you're, yeah. you're yeah. studying science, perhaps, where research is really going to help with your department's reputation, perhaps postgraduate research is going to help you as an undergraduate graduate. Um, that's worth thinking about. You may have access to better resources. If you're doing economics, where there isn't the same level of research, it might be better to go to Loughborough, or it definitely would be no worse. Yeah, I mean, I what I think with the Russell Group is it's a good place to start because it's a it's a list of 24 universities that um, are globally recognised. But you have to you, you have to not be blinkered, and you have to realise there are others which also are globally recognised. That's the key, I think. It's a good starting point. It has become a badge of honour. I don't think that's correct, actually, that it should be just because they're in the Russell Group. Well, I think this is something where it's really helpful to talk to your school advisor or a consultant, such as you or SLT, where this, this contextual information comes into play because it really is very important. It might might affect the sort of three, four years of your undergraduate life. Yeah, I think it's the, key, the key is, does the university that you're looking at have a course that you really like the look of? Because that's firstly, the most important thing is you as a student, are you going to be okay and happy? 
then let's think about its global reach. So wherever you are from, is that university recognized? When I deal with students from China, mainly they'll say to me, sorry, where's Exeter? They won't know. And, and they'll say, well, if I go back home to China with a degree from Exeter, Sarah, I won't get a job. Um, but, you know, LSE, Imperial and UCL, no problem. Oxford and Cambridge, same. So thinking about your, your country's attitude towards the universities is a really important thing to think about. Um, and people are tempted to use league tables. I have no time for them, to be really honest, and that might be a bit controversial, but I don't really have time for them because I think if you want to use them, you've got to do so much work to understand the difference between all of them that then you sort of stop really thinking about yourself and what yeah. you want. They also cater for the average student. They mm -hmm. are an average. And I think everything you're trying to say in this call essentially is that don't treat yourself as average. Try and be as different and as specific and as bespoke and personal as you possibly can, because that jumps off the page. And that is if you if you make the right choice and you're at the right university and taking the right course for you, you'll do very well and have a great time. I think um, so. Brilliant. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know the the most important thing is preparing for this application. And this this kind of, I mean, I don't know if anyone has asked about this at all, but this is about where we would talk about super curricular activities. Yes, there is a question about that. Uh, it's not, it doesn't use the word super curricular, so let's okay. define that. But okay. essentially, what can I do to help my application aside from the academic work that I'm going to do? I'm going to put okay. my head down and work really hard. What else do I need to do? Okay, so do more, basically. So and where do I start? Work. So basically, the as I said before, when we apply to a British university, we are applying for a course. We're not, unlike perhaps the US system, where it's quite important to match your character with the character of the institution. Are you a kind of character fit with that place? That's not so key, so key here. The key is, are you a fit with your subject? So we're making an academic application. It's not a job application. It's for an academic course. And we want to show the universities that you have a really strong interest in the subject. And we need evidence of that. And evidence of that motivation and interest is your engagement with it outside of the classroom. So not what your teacher tells you to do, not the homework your teacher sets you in, let's say economics, but what you choose to do to investigate the subject and bring you joy in that subject. So whether you read um, special reports in The Economist, books, 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 and some more books as well. I think there's a common thread that we've, it resonates around the walls of our office, just read. It's please just read. advice for parents, mm -hmm. please read with your children. Children, just read. And for anyone considering university, just read outside of your course. There is a reason why at Oxford and Cambridge we say, what subject did you read when you were at Oxford? Oh, I read law. Because it's about reading. They don't say, what did you study? It's what did you read? So... Of course, please watch online videos, watch TED Talks for introductions, um, do online courses at 
anywhere, Brown, Harvard, you know, do some great online stuff. That is fine, but read as well. Show the universities that you know you're going to, to a university where you're going to have to do a lot of independent reading. So do that too. Find mm -hmm. topics that you love. That's the key. Don't just grab a reading list and go, oh, I'll just start at the top. Think about what do I like in economics? Do I like thinking about hyperinflation, behavioral economics, um, biodiversity and its effect, its economic effect? Um, what is it? So you expand continually. And, and I think that will come out both in your personal statement, but also in an interview, which we haven't really got time to talk about this morning. But interview preparation is a whole other thing. And well, I would disagree respectfully. It okay. is actually, I think. All of that super curricular stuff, the reading of books, that is preparation for your interview as oh, well. That's, not, that's what I mean. Yeah, not sort of, as I think probably what you mean is the sort of what kind of questions are going to come up, et cetera, and how do I answer those? But actually the filling your brain with, an, with opinions and analysis through the reading that you do to write your great personal statement is also preparation for your interview. Because I you're agree. drawing on all of that knowledge at interview as well. Um, but yes, interview prep is separate and tough. <laughs> it's, it's a conceptual preparation. So it's a way of saying, I have, we, we always advise students, we have no way of knowing what you're going to be asked. And we wouldn't dare to suggest that we do because they will obviously ask the completely different question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We, we kind of know what you should know uh, to a degree, but it's it's about just explaining and drawing attention to your passions, your interests, your wider reading, your supercurricular activities. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions we've had, which I'll deal with very quickly, and I, you've, you've, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to answer this because it's not really UCAS, um, it's US applications. Okay. How do they differ to the UK? And essentially, it's it's a very different game many questions and essays per university you can apply to as many universities as you like but there is much more weight on this extracurricular activity particularly community-based work charity entrepreneurship the ib is generally considered to be a little bit easier for american universities to to appreciate than a level it's more rounded it's got community support it's got lots of sort of extended essays it's a bit more widely spread and I think the planning needs to start earlier. The other thing is you, the great thing about applying to the US now versus a year ago, two years ago, is that tests are optional. You can opt out at undergrad level of doing any tests at all, which sounds like music to my ears, but actually I would recommend you don't do the tests because why wouldn't you? You wanna show that you can, you've actually got the, the academic rigor to go to attend that particular university or college. Um, so that was a complete aside. I hope that answers the question for who, whoever's sent it in, who's listening. Um, there is another question which I'm, I can't draw you on, Sarah, so I'm, I'm not going to, but I'll, I'll risk my own reputation here. There's been quite a lot of press recently about moving to, uh, sorry, about the, the much higher rates of acceptance from state sixth forms into Oxbridge than from independent school or private school, public school, whatever you want to call them entrance to, to Oxbridge. So parents are asking us, should we strategically pull out of our independent school just before sixth form and move to a state sixth form? And I'm gonna dispatch that idea pretty quickly. First of all, good luck getting into a state sixth form at that stage in your academic career. Secondly, why would you leave your lovely independent school? It's great resources, 
you know, lots of friends there. Why would you disrupt your child's social well-being at that point where you're going into the hardest exams they've ever taken? Um, it's it, continuity and happiness and security are really important going into the A-level or the IB years. Um, I think generally this is a, a correction. You know, there have been for many years a, a sort of preponderance of, of places at Oxbridge have gone to independent school students. And I think all that's happening is that that's being redressed. There's no guarantee it will continue to be redressed. Um, there's no, the really, my sort of simple answer is really, I don't think it's worth moving. I don't think you can gain the system. I would just advise going back to everything Sarah's discussed this morning about making this personal and making it really relevant to what your interests are. If you've got anything to add or any disagreements with me, please do. No, I would say two things. Um, the state school issue, I think, is um, really directed at Oxford and Cambridge. And um, the stats have gone up about 10% in the last 10 years in terms of state school um, offers. I think Cambridge is at about 70%, 69, something like that, 70 um, so the actual increase isn't that huge. It's no, ten percent in ten years is. Yeah, it's not big. It's not really big enough, but it's. Big. No, I mean, when you think about it, you know, whatever ninety over ninety percent of actual students are actually at state school. Yeah. So Oxford and Cambridge to have kind of 70 percent is isn't in that you know isn't reflective. So, um, but what I would say is yes, there is all we can do. It's the Dave Brailsford theory. It's, you know, marginal gains. We can all do, we can do the marginal gains. We can read more, et cetera, et cetera. Get the wording beautiful on the personal statement. Make sure the GCSEs are super, super as they can be. But also, you, you, you need to be a thinker to get into Oxford and Cambridge. Not just a learner, if that makes sense. So yeah not just someone who takes in what the teachers say and is happy with it and just understands it beautifully and can write about it beautifully fine but actually another level that Oxford and Cambridge are looking for is someone who will think about what's what they're reading what they're being taught and consider that well hold on a minute I don't think that was right I don't agree this is what I think is wrong with that and a, and a level further, this is, I think, what I would do about it. So being able to not take things at face value and to have an opinion, whatever it may be, whether it's right or wrong, doesn't matter. Which is actually great advice for any UCAS application to, to go into the interview and, to, and, and as you're learning, as you're studying, it's a, bit, it's a little bit harder when you're going through A-levels and you can't really challenge a scientific concept or you know but you can at least think about it if, if you can start to cultivate that thinking and yeah. I'm sure we could suggest a few books or, or podcasts or webinars sorry not webinars TED talks that maybe help with that um the but we won't right now because I've got another question the there are a couple of quite big changes recently in the UCAS process um so the personal statement has been broken down into just a list of questions which I believe the answer, the, the reason for that was to make it easier and to have less need for support because everything's broken down and is easier to answer specific questions. Yeah, so I think it was felt that it was a bit of a struggle for students to write 500 words of prose. 
personally, I think if you struggle to write 500 words of prose, university could be a bit of a challenge. But again, maybe controversial, but that's my opinion. But it just, it's only 500 words. Now, the changes are not in place yet. They haven't been agreed. And I think that's a reflection of actually how controversial the whole thing is. There's me saying my opinion is controversial. It's not actually. And I think that is actually part of the reason why this change has not happened. It was supposed to be starting for coming cycle. We don't think it'll even happen by then. It may not even happen for 2025 applications. So it is up in the air because UCAS couldn't really get agreement from stakeholders or amongst themselves. So it, it does seem very counterproductive because from my, my memory of university is that you're not really taught how to learn there. You're not supported particularly in, in actually any particular, any particular pedagogy. You're not really, your tutors, if you've got, if you're fortunate to have a good tutor, this is outside the Oxbridge system. If you're fortunate to have a really good tutor, you may get considerable help with your essay structure, but really you need to be able to write independently. And if you can't do 500 words, you can't, I, I agree. You, you're going to struggle. I mean, you know, and I exclude from that people with any sort of form of learning difficulties of course are totally um you know but there's no harm i guess in having a little structure you know when i help students with the personal statement i help them to see how they might structure it and that does of course involve me saying okay in the first paragraph try asking yourself this question and try to answer it in the second paragraph let's let's try to address this question, this question, and so on. Yeah, I recall it's, it was really part of this change, motivate the motivation for this change was to level the playing field between students who have perhaps help externally from a consultant or from a very good careers department and those yeah. that don't. And that kind of makes sense, but that maybe I, I, my, my sort of more cynical brain, part of my brain, thinks maybe this is something to do with automated assessment and marking is it easier for a machine to assess a small yeah but i'm you know that's another subject yeah that's another webinar isn't it another <laughs> webinar someone has actually asked how ai will um is likely to affect the ucas process in the next few years and i would say well if we're, if we're not extinct by then <laughs> ai let's let's just wait to see what happens mm. um okay there's another question here. Is the personal statement more important now that teacher references have been removed? I wasn't aware they had been removed. Um, They've been changed. They have been changed. Um, teachers now have to, from, from this cycle, because it's the first time teachers are having to do something a little bit new, it's divided into sections. Mm -hmm. um, very specific sections with very specific questions, three sections. Um, so, and it could be that some schools won't have anything to write in the first section or the second section or whatever. So that may be what that person means, but no, teacher references are still there. The application process is, it's, it's very holistic. You know, we're looking at GCSE grades, predictions, GCSE grades if, if you're at a British school. Um, if you're not, don't worry, don't panic. Um, but GCSE grades, A-level predictions or IB predictions, whatever we're predicting, teacher reference, personal statement, admissions tests. Um, and if it's Oxford or Cambridge or some other universities that will do interviews, we add interviews into there as well. So we've got six aspects. And I, every university will have a different weighting, mm -hmm. but many will see it. You know, holistically, 
LSE, I will say, are very prescriptive about their personal statements. They have in, in immense amounts of guidance because I think they have very specific things that they're looking for. I think that's very important to them. And I would say universities that don't interview are entitled for the personal statement to be important because how else do they differentiate between all of you guys who've got great grades already and great predictions? What, what else are they going to do? Uh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, now, we started a few minutes late, so if it's OK with you, Sarah, I'm just going to go a few minutes over just to, to get everything in. Um, maybe just we'll, we'll wrap up in about five minutes, if that's OK. Um, a really, really interesting question here. Um, I'm in year 12 and awaiting diagnosis for learning difficulties. Can you give me advice or guidance on any allowances or help that UCAS can give when I sit my exams to help accommodate my need? I think really that this is directed at the application. So it's we're not going to answer the, the part about help with exams. That's something the school will help with in terms of extra time. Um, but when you apply through UCAS, it's such a good question. Um, I would be I'd be very worried about putting in putting an application and saying I've got a it's not a problem. I've got a learning difficulty or I've got a particular way of learning. I'd be worried that the university would just say, no, we don't want that because schools are very inclusive. Schools are schools have to be, but also they pride themselves on neurodiversity and on accommodating and, and embracing it increasingly more and more these days but universities we don't hear too much about it we hear a lot about well-being but it's that's different um you've got it our advice is obviously be honest but i think there's something here where you can really use this to your advantage actually really go to town on it and explain how you've you've sort of worked with this learning challenge and how you work with it what your requirements are why you think that university's a good fit you've done a bit of research perhaps but have you have you worked with students with learning difficulties and have you how do you sort of address that in the personal statement? Um, so depending on the issue, um, I would say the majority of the time uh, students don't address it in the personal statement, the majority of the time. But where it's been a huge factor within their education, perhaps they've moved around a lot because they've not been able to find school that can support them properly effectively I should say really um then that may be part of the discussion um the teacher reference I think is a really good place for this kind of discussion uh, to highlight strengths um regardless of the learning difficulty that a student may have I still would want to see them spend more time on their personal statement talking about academic stuff and I would ask the tutor, the teacher doing the reference, to discuss um, challenges overcome, etc., in their part. I would never be shy or reticent of discussing it because it's not going to negatively affect the judgment of your, the assessment of your application. It gives the university opportunity to put things in place in advance, should they offer you a place and you accept it, that they, they know that there are things that you need put in place. Um, I have never, ever had a student with any sort of neurodiversity who's been rejected from, you know, I mean, there's not an issue. There's That's not an issue to be hidden thing. away at all. It's to be celebrated by teachers in their reference I think it needs to be celebrated and explained and 
Well, I think we the interesting point you've touched on there's a teacher's reference with with relation to SEN learning difficulty. Um, we really encourage parents and students when they're a bit older to to talk to their teachers about this, to not demand, but to ask reasonably assertively to the point they maybe even put down on paper some bullet points. This is what I'd like you to include in my statement, in your reference. Yeah. If there's anything you disagree with, could we discuss it now, please? Because I really want, you know, you remember when I did that essay about my dog and you loved it. Could you just mention something about that? Or the, it's, you can coach your teachers for the statement to a, to a degree. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't. I think I agree with you. And in fact, in the new reference system, there is a section for um, uh, extenuating circumstances. One whole section is for that. And, and that's it's a, it's an extenuating circumstance. Absolutely. That, that is expected to go in there. Okay. Um, it is one of the extenuating circumstances. So cool. I think that those discussions, yes, they can feel difficult. And I think having parents on board with you to have those discussions makes it a little bit easier. But I thoroughly agree. I also think it's about economy because I don't want to, to bang on about my essay if you're going to bang on about my essay. Yes. Vice versa. Yeah. If you're going to talk about my winning this, this and this. You don't need to. I won't talk about it. I'll talk about something else. So Sarah, thank you very much. We're, we're almost out of time. What I'd love to do is just conclude with a quick sort of I don't know if you could give your sort of top three things to do your top three pieces of advice in my mind I was going please don't say top three don't please don't say would you like top five or top, <laughs> top two <laughs> let's, let's do it together I'm going to give one which is get your get the do a timeline so work backwards from the final submission date and factor into that all of your if there are any extra tests additional tests um Factor in time for visits to the universities, research time, literally write it down. Two hours to research Durham, two hours to research Exeter, three days for visits, that kind of thing. When are their open days? Okay, that's my one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my one will be, I've got, I, yeah, I can easily do two and then related. Leave time for your personal statement. Just because it's 500 words, it doesn't mean it's going to take you two days. It takes a long time. The... Um, most of my Oxbridge candidates, we're, look, we're looking at between 10 and 15 drafts before we're all super happy. So leave plenty of time. Don't start it in September or in October, the 16th deadline, please. So that would be first top tip. Second top tip is when you are researching your subject, reading around it, please choose um, focus on topics within that subject that you are interested in, not what I'm interested in as your consultant, not what your physics teacher is interested in, but what you like. If it's engineering, if you like F1, read about F1. Do it. Because it will come through. I think that's really important. If you find yourself working with, let's call them a consultant or a tutor or a teacher or anyone who is helping you with this process and you think they start getting prescriptive, you think they start to say, do it this way write down that uh in the interview say this um uh, i think I'd, I'd run a mile from that person as well intentioned as they are i would say anyone who says to you what do you like what do you want i'm not seeing any passion when you write that can you can you can you to help you write it more passionately i suggest you do this but who basically gives you a 
the structure, not a structure as well, a structure, yes, mm. but really who unlocks your own passions and helps you express them clearly. That's what you want in terms of help here, isn't it? It's I not so. absolutely. It's just because it's about you, it's not about yeah. of course we can, you know, if it's a subject, for example, you know, if I work with a student for law, most students don't know much about law. They might know a few cases that they've seen in the news. So, you know, yes, at that point as an advisor, I would be saying, okay, well, this is quite an interesting area. What do you think? No, what about this and this? Go and have a little mm. little read, see if any of those jump out at you. So That's yes. Cool. That's a case, yes, when we've got new subjects, but no more than that, no more than that. Absolutely, I agree with you. In some cases, it's helpful to have to work with someone who, who specialises in a particular subject. Of course. But generally, yeah. it's, it's more about unlocking that student's... Sort yeah, of absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I work with students who do engineering. I mean, so I have a degree in Spanish and law, but I will work with engineering, economics, international relations... Um, work very successfully with those students <laughs> yeah and, and that you know they are the successful ones really because but because we pick out what do you like Wonderful. So. i think that's it. it's about the university you know you pay a lot of money to go there it takes a lot of time it does help you of course in your career but it's about how you use your time and the two <laughs> years beforehand are critical in working out exactly where you want to spend that part of your life because it is going to make a difference. I think so. Yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I think my dream is just that more students start this process earlier, really. And you know, it's not a hard, it's not a slog. It shouldn't be a slog, but just, and if you can commit even from year 12, autumn term, an hour a week on a Sunday, to looking at some uni websites, to reading The Economist, then you're going to put yourself in a great place when it comes when to... You start, when you start to read these things, it opens up conversations with, with adults, with friends, with peers, with teachers. It just it starts to open the door. You suddenly find yourself going down to the local veterinary surgery for a bit of work experience. Yeah, exactly. Talk. Sarah, let's leave it there. We've got this. I'd love to continue talking. I find this fascinating. It is. But <laughs> if, um, if any if listening would like more advice, they can get in touch with us and we'll put them in touch with you. Um, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Really interesting. Really, really pleasure. I hope that was helpful to everybody. Thanks, Nathaniel. Sure, it will be. Thanks, Sarah. All the best. Take care. Bye bye.